You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to Psyched by MG. This is Mary Grace Randazzo Ratliff, or MG for short. I've been a psychotherapist in private practice for 32 years now. Guess what, everyone? We all have issues. So it's time to lighten up and move forward. Let's stop letting our crap control us and take control of our crap. Good evening. Good evening. Hello, hello. Hi. Hello, hello. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, Okay. Everyone, you can find us on... (laughs) Google Podcast, <laughs> Apple Podcast, Detroit Podcast, um, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, just look up Psyched by MG. You can find generic African auntie Barbara Mangahai uh, on all of the same platforms. Um, we would love it if you would stop what you're doing right now. Just stop and hit like subscribe, um, and, uh, send us a message, uh, cause we really, really would appreciate it. Uh, we're, we're getting lots of you who are writing and, uh, giving us great show ideas. Uh, and we really appreciate it. So, um, now that that's, that's out there and done, Barbara, Barbara, Barbara. Yes, girl. Yes. Yes. What? How the heck are ya? You look so tired tonight. Uh, it, you know Fridays, right? Fridays, yeah. Fridays just yeah. Friday is is crazy in and of itself. It's just uh, trying to manage other people's energies as well as manage my own energies, and you know, in between work and dealing with people's you know the gift stress. Who wants this? I don't know if I should get this one. This one. And I'm like, you know what? Sort yourselves out. <laughs> I'm not even in that game right now. Like, I am so far away. You know, I'm going to Africa, right? So I'm I just guess. like, my soul is no longer here. You are dealing with a physical body. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I look at them. I'm like, you're dealing with just physical body. So sort yourselves out. Mama so is already on the plane. They're, they're ordering their Amazon stuff and trying to get themselves sorted out. So sometimes yeah. I have to go in there and uh, uh, just kind of do some damage control or manage energies, you know, things start getting out of control and heated. And yeah. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Can yes, you not yes. do that? I know. And you you have four. Yes. That's oh. why they're doing their own stuff. I, I'm done with that. I know. Do, do you know, I have memories of... Um, trying to do Christmas gifts when they were little. Oh, I know. If I tell you the amount of plastic I accumulated over the years, when I say plastic, I mean those dolls. And it's plastic, right? It's just plastic molded into... Do you remember fighting the packaging? Do you remember fighting the stupid packages to get that crap out? It's like, oh my God, they don't even... Car seats are not that secure. I'm not kidding. Right. And, And the thing about it is, because they were so little, they couldn't get them out the packages themselves. Oh, you so to you had to sit the driver. there with the little scissors. And, and the DIY things, is the, ooh, couldn't stand those. Get a doll's house and then you have to put it together yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Un- I'm, I'm not an architect. I'm not an engineer. You know, I hate math. So you can imagine the kind of stuff I came up with once they gave that. In the end, it was like, Cyril, you take care of it. Yeah, honestly, Dad would sit with his scissors, his screwdriver, and he and he had something else. I can't remember what it was, and we would just hand it to him. Yeah, and all he did was just take with me. Out. Of course, it was always like, ah, yeah, I can do it. Until I remember yeah. building a doll's house once, and and one of my twins going, I said, "What's the matter, honey?" She says, "It doesn't look like the picture." Oh. <laughs> God. Oh, it's so cute. I had totally watched the thing. It looked like an African hut in a village somewhere. <laughs> this is not Barbie's house. This is not Barbie's house. I'm like, no, it's not. It's Chipo's house in my village. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. 
So no, they 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 excused me from that task. So you know, Amelia had a birthday one year and she wanted a makeup vanity so bad. And I oh, those pink makeup vanity things. I think I remember was, they looked like oh gosh. This was a little bit older. It was from Target, so it was still small, but it was wooden and it had the mirror and the little and the stool. And I said, now look at we've got to wrap this for her. We're going to put it in a room, but we really need to wrap it. He goes, no, no, I don't think she'll want it wrapped. She'll just put a big bow on it. I said, ah, uh, I'm the one that usually handles this. I don't think this is going to go over well. Sure enough, she woke up and she saw it and she burst into tears. <laughs> and my husband's like, why are you crying? Why didn't you wrap my crying? <laughs> I have nothing to open now. <laughs> Always defer to mama because the fun is in We're the, the one wearing of the them. wrapping. I'm telling you. It's so funny. He's like, oh, and he felt so, he's like, oh my God. He's like, <laughs> he said to her, do you want us to wrap it now? She goes, no, it's no. open. <laughs> Rise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Been there, done that. Yeah. 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 Fun times. Oh. Fun times. Well, tonight we're going to talk more, and and we've done a podcast that hits this, the last one we did, a little bit, but we're going to get into intergenerational patterns of coping that we were talking about last time, Um, and I thought we should go more into it because of what I'm seeing with clients right now, and what you know, gifts trigger, holidays trigger, um, and people are repeating these coping patterns when they're stressed and they don't, in fact, I I had a session, we really went into it. Um, and I said, do you see the, the intergenerational pattern here? You're doing what your father did and your father you know, that is doing what his father did. And now you're struggling as your son is doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And it is, you know, some people it's blowing up really easily for other people. It's shutting down and not talking when a conflict is in the room. Um, Passive aggressiveness can be an intergenerational pattern where uh, being detached. um, And Barbara, you and I've had so many conversations about this. Um, where, you know, there's an obvious problem, but you become like wallpaper and you don't deal with it. You pretend you're not there. You become invisible. Um, and therefore it causes a problem. And, uh, so it's, it's hard therapists. We get exposed and, 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 and coaches get exposed to these generational patterns and we want to understand them so that you can understand them. Right. And so an intergenerational pattern is a style of coping with something that your father did, that your grandfather did. Alcoholism can be a very broad one that alcoholism has been passed down from generation to generation uh, where, you know, my grandfather drank, my great grandfather drank, I drink, um, and so these, some of them are positive, you know, uh, you know, some of them work and others cause serious problems. And the more generations it passes through, it's so subconscious. Some of these that people don't even realize or think about it. Yeah, it becomes insidious. Yeah. Yes. And, um, Some people will say, well, why are we talking about this? And I said, you know, my grandfather used to have this saying, if you forget the past, you're bound to repeat it. And so you really have to take a look back. You don't take a look back in therapy to beat somebody up. You take a look back because you want to understand the patterns and the things that don't work. Or maybe they worked back in the Depression era but they don't work today because there's no war or there's no struggle. Right. Um, And um, it's, it's a tough one. You know, I watch, I work with families. I have a whole family therapy background 
and I watch these patterns go on to kids, you know, I have many cases where the mom will say to me, my son doesn't talk. My son doesn't talk. He's like his father. He's so disconnected. And so we'll bring the the boy in. And um, sure enough, hard to talk. It's like pulling teeth. Right. Um, bring the father in. Hard to talk. It's like pulling teeth. Um, and what I like to do is I like to have some fun with it. I like, you know, we talk about this all the time. I like them to take a look at the behavior pattern and, you know, just gently get to know it. You know, it's something that's causing a problem, but it doesn't have to be so serious that you're afraid to look at it. Right. And when we look at the trait that doesn't work, um, such as we'll, we'll use this one case as an example, as a boy that doesn't talk and the mom will say often, he's so stressed out. I can tell, I can read him. I can, Mm -hmm. I'm worried. Um, I think he needs therapy. He's not eating right. He's not sleeping. He's having anxiety now. And um, so the, the number one step, and I say this often is you have to become aware that there is a pattern. You have to become aware of the trait, the style of coping that you do. And you have to, you have to take a look at where is this coming from? Where did I learn this? Because patterns and behaviors of coping are learned behaviors, right? They're not organic and they're not biological. And especially now with the pressure on our young people, the amount of stress, the amount of, of hard, painful things that these kids are exposed to, these young people with these old patterns, it's getting serious for them. I've never seen so many anxiety disorders amongst high school students than I have in the last five years than I have from 30 years ago when I practiced. Um so the, the number one thing is you have to be aware that they're there. Number two, you can't be afraid to look at them. Can I ask a question, Mary Grace? Yeah. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be your active listener for a minute. So I hear you saying you've seen a lot of anxiety among young people. Is yeah. the anxiety part of the coping or generational coping, or is the anxiety a symptom of not coping? Know what I mean? Both. It's ah. both because um, I'm thinking of this this one case in particular that I saw years ago. This young person, um, the pressure and the stress to perform and perform well caused a lot of anxiety, mm-hmm. and then the body didn't know how to cope with it, which created its own anxiety. So it's a, they get hit from both sides and these poor young people, the demands and the pressure on them to, to perform at high levels now at such young ages, their bodies are short circuiting. They can't, Hmm. they think they can't hack it. And I say, no, your surroundings are failing you. The, the adults in your life, society is failing you right now. This isn't right. that you can't hack it. Cause I'm going to tell you the pressure you're under. I was not under that kind of pressure when I was younger. Right. Absolutely. Especially with what the schools are doing now. I yeah. Mean, no, I was going to say the academia, the, that academic world is kind of crazy sometimes, especially yeah. in these so-called top tier schools is where you're, you're, you're seeing a lot of. Yes. Um, and the reason I asked whether, you know, the anxiety is uh, the actual coping mechanism or a symptom of not coping is then, for example, when alcohol, Ooh. caffeine and uh, drugs become involved as a way to, quote unquote, cope. Yeah, that is, you know, God, I cannot talk enough about caffeine with young people right now. Uh, we, we never had so many caffeinated options when we grew up. Right. I mean, this, this is a drop and, and people need to understand caffeine's a drop. Mm-hmm. Caffeine is a stimulant. We used to call them speeders. Right. And these kids doing double shots of espresso or high energy drinks 
our our jaw the caffeine addiction is so out of control. You know, I I'm very good friends with some doctors and they'll say, Oh, I've got, you know, these kids coming in, they can't focus. I said, the first thing you gotta do is do energy drink assessments. Right. Caffeine drink assessments before you even go anywhere with these kids because you're gonna be shocked at the amount of coffee, the amount of lattes, the espressos, the energy drinks that these kids are drinking that are causing the distractions, the excitability, it would blow you away. And he, I saw him again and he said, oh my God, this is serious. I go, this is a serious problem. And doctors are not asking about this. Well, the thing is, that's because caffeine is, is, is an acceptable drug, right? It's addictive, yes, but, you yeah. know, nobody seems to ever talk about caffeine from this point of view. You're, to be honest, you're the first person I've ever heard uh, putting coffee, you know, sort of when we talk about, you know, uh, ways in which people can escape or cope or whatever, naming caffeine as one of the drugs oh. of choice. My mind doesn't automatically go there. It was uh-huh. it was hearing you talk about it because oh, um, so coffee is in the home. Anybody can just go and make. You can drink as much coffee as you want. Nobody really monitors how much coffee anyone is drinking, right? And yet, you know, they're putting they're injecting foods with caffeine. I mean, it, it's so we're going to see heart disease do a turn with these kids from the last, I'd say you know, almost 10 years, you know, I, I would love a study done um, where they follow young people doing this kind of caffeine over a long-term study and, and, and let it be from a cardiology standpoint. You know, I wish your husband was in on this one because I'm worried about how much they're wearing out their hearts. Right. I, I sat in with um my stylist and he was doing energy drinks he said oh my god i'm having such a hard time sleeping and gee i woke up this morning and my muscles were hurting and i said oh you do energy drinks he goes oh my god how do you know that and i said well you have an addiction problem now when your muscles go through that those spasms you're having a detox and so withdrawal right it's saying to your brain get caffeine in my body. Right. And I said, you have to stop the energy drinks because he likes to do them, especially before he works out every day. Oh yeah. And I said, well, you're playing with fire and not to mention what the hell you're doing to your heart. He's like, Oh my God, I never thought about, I said, just, you'll know you're addicted. If you can't tomorrow get up and not have any, Mm -hmm. now you've got an addiction problem. And you're also going through withdrawals. It's the same thing with coffee. Same thing with coffee. You're you're going to go through muscle leg spasms. You're going to have um, feelings of anxiety, headaches. People talk about that, muscle aches. Um, not to mention what it does to your stomach. Mm-hmm. So now if we were to, I know we're talking about addiction right now. I'm going to put it right into intergenerational patterns. Mm-hmm. that, you know, I'm Italian. They're big coffee drinkers. We're big oh, drinkers. absolutely. I mean, I love going to Italy because it's like every second building has got a little cafe, people sitting outside. And and the way it's drunk is what fascinates me. You know, you get a nice concentrated little shot and people throw that back and then they go on and then they meet another friend for coffee and they sit <laughs> down and they get another coffee. Uh, it's fascinating. It is yeah. some of the best coffee in the world. I love I love moving around there because I love the smell of coffee, I have to say. That's I don't drink much of it, but there's just that beautiful yeah. aroma. Yeah. I I have coffee now, but I drink decaffeinated. Because you love the taste, right? You're not I looking love, for love, love the taste. You're looking so I do a water taste, processed yeah. to not get the chemicals, a water right. processed decaffeinated. Um, and I had to switch to that because I had an addiction to coffee. Mm-hmm. I, you know, you know, people, we all laugh. Oh, you haven't had your coffee today. Oh, you haven't had your coffee today. People got to stop for a second and think it through. If you're not sleeping right, when was the last hit of caffeine they had? 
Right. If it's, if you go to bed at nine, 10 o'clock, God, I hope it wasn't, you know, after four or three. Right. Because it's hitting your system. If you come from a family that struggles with addiction, whether it's food addiction, spending addiction, alcohol, drug addiction, you have to watch out for patterns of coping that deal with compulsivity and addiction. Right. Because for you, you were surrounded by that. That was a norm. That's familiar to you to have that issue. So it becomes the norm and the way of being and becomes no big deal. Right. It takes awareness and intervention to speak to you and go, wait, but does it work? Is everyone okay? Is there a history of obesity? Is there a history of diabetes? Is there a history of, you know, liver disease with alcoholism and drug abuse? Because this is damaging. And if it's intergenerational patterns of this, there's some work to be done because you're changing it in yourself, but you're also going to, whatever you work on and whatever change you're going to make, you're going to change it for the future generations to come so they don't get sick and they don't struggle. Diabetes for women in my family, it's everywhere. It's just everywhere. And so... I immediately said to my doctor, it's everywhere. I've got to get a handle on food issues. I don't want to end up with diabetic stroke um, and severe obesity. The the Italian women in my family all struggle with that. We're very short. We cannot carry it. Right. Um, Help. I've got to stop this pattern, and especially for my kids. Right. Don't want them struggling with it. And so I worked real hard to, to, to and I, oh, I'm still working on it. I, I haven't mastered it all yet. Yeah. Yeah. But, it's always a work in progress because, you know, it's funny yeah. to talk about, you know, uh, intergenerational patterns of coping or intergenerational trauma or what some people might call intergenerational curses. For many people who, who have something like that going on, it's a lifetime work. Yes, Because a lot of it, if we look, for example, at things like addiction or even certain, uh, you know, diseases, if you like, it's, it's, it's genetic or even epigenetic. And so you're fighting, you're fighting against your genes. You're fighting against your very scaffolding. That's yes. a lifelong work. Yes. Yes. You know, uh, if right. obesity and a propensity to put on weight runs in the family and type 2 diabetes concurrently runs in the family, then you know that even if you may not have it, you know that you have to work against your genetics in order to stay without it, in order not to have it. Yes. And that's a lifelong work. Yes. Because it's not as if you can say, well, I worked out this, that, and the next thing and diabetes went. Nah, it sits in your DNA, dude. If you do the wrong thing, it's going to manifest, right? If you're not eating right, then the thing will manifest. So it's almost like a a conscious way of living that is a lifetime process as long as you're in this human body here. That is your work. And a lot of us have work like that, you know? Yes. And, you know, it's, it's also something as serious as um, repeat patterns of child sexual abuse. Yes. And rape. Yes. That people don't, you know, children are hurt by family members and families cover it up and they don't talk about it. And that's because the rule in their family for generations is we don't talk about it or look at it and we pretend it's not there. Right. And so it repeats again. Yeah. Um, you know, I cannot tell you, I can't even count how many situations where I've seen this sec, you know, child sexual abuse, which can evolve into post-traumatic stress. And I'm going to talk about that even with, you know, grandparents and great grandparents that went to war. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you come from a system that covers everything up, 
and doesn't talk about real problems and issues, it's a dysfunctional system. Yeah. And because it's a dysfunctional system, it will have very serious symptoms and traumas. Right. When being vulnerable becomes an illness in a family, when being emotional becomes a weakness, that's not a healthy system. No. And when you learn to be like that, you know, I look at my grandparents who were, you know, dealing with the Great Depression and, um, you know, fear, chronic fear around not having enough and not having food. And so my, I remember my grandmother used to save every grocery bag, used to save, you know, people who are Italian are laughing right now because, oh, my mother saved all the grocery bags and all the twist ties um, because, you, you know, you just never know when something's going to hit and they would talk, something's going to hit. You better be prepared. Right. And it, it's a post-trauma thing. Well, they don't realize that what you're doing is you're creating an energy and a way of being that's always afraid of a shoe drop. Yep. And you're passing that on to your kids. Sometimes I will see somebody who has post-traumatic stress and I'm trying to understand what was the trauma? What was the trauma? And it doesn't feel like somebody has had a trauma. And I, and I remember this one case. And finally I said, has your dad been in the military? Oh yeah. Yeah. My dad was a Marine. Ooh, was your dad in active duty? Yes. Yes. My dad served during the Vietnam war. He saw a lot of death. Uh, Now I got to understand, ah, how paranoid was dad? How much PTSD did dad have? And then I uncovered the trauma. The story for this poor guy is the father emanated so much of his trauma with no therapeutic intervention, no help that the entire family lived with the terror and the anxiety that emanated from the dad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's tragic. It's, yeah. it's, it's, this guy did the same thing to his children. He had guns. He stockpiled things. He didn't trust people. He his kids weren't allowed to play with certain families and other kids. They were never allowed to, to go over to somebody else's house. They lived as if their house was, barricaded in for safety. He didn't go to war. His father did. And it's just, and now did that dad want to pass it to his son? No, he didn't. He, he, he had to, because he never changed. He never, right. He didn't acknowledge it. And then he didn't do the work that it takes to undo that uh, and to change that trajectory. You know, Um, it's not easy work. No, uh, it's not no. easy work at all. Uh, I deal with it a lot in terms of, you know, we look at things like, you know, the mother wound. Uh, it's one of, it's a series of teachings that I've been doing with the, a particular group of women. And I tell you, oh. it, it, it is, it has been so, there's been a lot of breaking open. I won't call it breaking down, but breaking open to certain realizations because when you are perpetuating that same Uh, almost intergenerational pattern of coping, like hitting your children in order to have them behave because that's all you know. That's because you were hit and then your mama was hit and you watched your, you know, and, and, and your grandma hit your mama and, and your great grandma hit your grandma. It's just, and then you now, the one who's, who's, who's taken the mantle to heal that coping mechanism and it is a coping mechanism. Uh, I'll give you an example because within the African-American community, um, we are constantly policed. Our parenting is constantly policed. Mm-hmm. We are so hypersensitized to being called bad parents. We are also hypersensitized to knowing that when our children behave like normal children, they are pathologized. When our children are acting up in the store and kicking and fussing like normal two-year-old, three-year-olds throwing tantrums, they are pathologized. The looks you get, the looks that say you're a bad mother, the looks that say, oh my God, you're probably a single parent home. That's why these kids are unruly. 
We are also hypersensitized to the fact that at a certain age, our kids are no longer safe, even within a system that's supposed to protect them if they behave a certain way. So how do we cope with this? We cope most times by smacking. We cope by hitting in order to temporarily control those behaviors and get them to behave in a manner that ultimately we believe will keep them safe. So it's passed down and and we see this going for those who remember five, six generations back, not that they remember, but stories that they have heard passed down of how children within their families were disciplined, quote unquote. It's horrific. Yes, yes. And so you have the current generation that I work with who are saying, I don't want to do this anymore, but I found myself one day sitting and thinking, oh my God, I've become my mother. Ah, yeah. What am I doing? This is is the woman I said I'd never become because of what she did to me. And look at me now. I've just done it for the first time. Usually it's a a first time thing where they wake up and like, did I just do that? And it triggers those memories of saying to themselves, when I'm a mom, I'll never become like this. Yeah. And it shows the power of these intergenerational coping yes. patterns. If yes. They are not so, tackled directly. How subconscious they are. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm envisioning a poor woman who's going through that and saying, oh, my gosh, but you're doing the right thing right now because they're so subconscious. You have to get them into your awareness in order to have power over them. That's it's it. just that simple. If you get them into your awareness, you can then work on them. That's it. But you have to get them there. And those patterns are when they're from generation to generation, they go deeper and deeper and deeper yeah. into the subconscious. Yeah. And well, there it's not that hard to get them out if you, especially if you work with a trained professional who goes, ah, let me tell you this. So it is for for women, you know, that, that mother wound is so huge. And, and for women who face motherhood, who come from patterns of being hit, abused, um, also from, you know, uh, homes that uh, all of the pressure is on her. She has to handle it all. She overfunctions. She's codependent. You know, I just want you to take a nice deep breath if you're listening to this podcast. Just take a breath and sit down and be very proud of yourself, first of all, for listening and being brave enough to think about this differently because you are now in the moment of empowering yourself to make a change. Right. And, and, And I can say this to men who dare to listen. Uh, it's the same for you with with whatever you know detachment or medication you use or whatever it is. Look at it. Don't be afraid to look at it, and you're going to see. I mean, intergenerational patterns in the therapy world are huge. We have papers and books written about PTSD, like I talked about earlier, being passed down from generation to generation to generation. Through, through, yeah, through through them through through um, yeah, in utero basically. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, uh, a father who might have been in World War Two or World War One, who came home with his his shell shock back then, it's PTSD, mm-hmm. who hit his kids. As soon as he got scared about something, he took control and he hit. And then that child grows up and is hitting their kid and that kid is hitting their kid. Or the mother wound where that's what she witnessed and experienced. And then a person who is sensitive and doing that act then feels like crap. Beats themselves up and gets into a shame spiral, a self-abusive spiral, which makes them more impulsive, more apt to hit or act out or overlook trauma in the house, a a sexual abuse situation, because you're so darn overwhelmed. 
So, you know, we say all the time, you know, don't let your crap control you. Take control of your crap. This is a classic example. Right. Don't be afraid to look. It's the not looking that's going to keep you beating the shit out of yourself. Yep. you got to look at it. And so for those, you know, we were talking about the women in your group. For those that are looking, my God, be proud of yourself. It's going to take work to change it, but you got to realize you're changing de- generations of crap. That's it. That's huge work. It's huge. This is and, huge. Yeah. And by the time you're getting to do that work, you, you bear the heaviness of the past. You yes. feel it. You, you feel it. And like you say, because with each generation becomes more and more subliminal, more and more subconscious, you got yes. a lot more digging to do. Yes. Than, say, your mother might have done and your grandmother and whoever, wherever this thing started they would have had an easier time getting rid of it than you now. You have a pack that is old. And and I say to clients, when, when you can get that perspective, you gain your innocence back. We work so hard to get people's innocence back to, to understand that this is so much bigger, whatever you're doing, whatever the mistake is, it's so much bigger than you. So please look at that pattern, understand where it is coming from. And then the key is now give yourself your innocence back. And people say, well, how do you do that? How do I get, I said, you got to start talking nice to you. You don't sit there and say, oh my God, what the hell is the matter with me? I just hit my kid. God, I'm a horrible person. I'm such a son of a bitch. You don't do that. Now you're beating the shit out of you. Yeah, it takes a lot of compassion. A lot. a lot of these patterns come from a place of non-compassion. Yes. Not because of intention, but sometimes because of pressure. Remember, you're trying to cope. That's you're not of compassion. You're not deliberate. You're not, you're, when these things are, are, are laid down and start happening and become habitual, these coping mechanisms, they come from a place of fear and panic. Like I said, as I outlined to you, what causes that? How do people get to that point where in a grocery store, they will pull their kid by the scruff of the neck and yank them and throw them in a car. It's from the stress and pressure of being under a gaze that is critical, that is judgmental, that is telling you you're useless. That, And so you're reacting. Yes. So there's no conscious thought about this is just a two-year-old doing what two-year-old. They, this is what they do is two-year-olds. Yes. They want what they want. When they don't get it, they throw themselves on the floor, put, kicks their feet in the air, and and scream blue murder. Yeah. It's a fight. Yeah. It's that cortisol response of panic. Yeah. And it's from that place that these traumas are born. Because then the reaction to what's going on is a reaction. And it's not even commensurate with the action. Yeah. So you're not treating this like a two-year-old problem you know, with a problem or two-year-old just not even with a problem. Again, I'm pathologizing. A two-year-old behaving like a two-year-old when he doesn't get his way. You're not treating them like that anymore. That's right. And so your action is, is causes the trauma because it's not commensurate with what the problem is. Yeah. It's, it's, it's too heavy handed because it's a reaction. And when usually when people react, it's, it's, it's more excessive than it should be. Right. There's no perspective there anymore. That's right. That's right. And so that's the beginning of these patterns. Yes, that's right. And it's, uh, and yeah, you know, it's, often I use this word trigger, you know, with post-traumatic stress, mm. you know, post-traumatic stress is an anxiety disorder and it means you've been through a trauma and the trauma has wounded you and, and, and affected you in a way that when something familiar happens, so so for example, people who come back from war, um, and years ago when they used the term shell shock, a common thing is a soldier would come back from war and be with their wife. And they would get into an argument. But for that veteran, it the intensity of the argument. And the way they went after, went after their spouses, you would think that they were an enemy. Mm-hmm. It was too intense. It was too much. 
And the spouse would say, geez, we were arguing over eggs. He's screaming at me and, and breaking things and punching things. What's going on? Well, for that person who's been through trauma, they have two realities going on at the same time. If something scares them, if something makes the person feel trapped or that there's a problem or a crisis, the trauma body goes off mm-hmm. as well as the present situation. Right. So yes, they come out of the gate with an intensity that doesn't fit the present situation. Right. So that argument is called a trigger. So something can happen that's familiar. Anniversaries can be a trigger. Mm. If, if you were beat up on Christmas Eve, when, when, by your father, uh, 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 when you were younger, for example, um, Christmas Eve, you could be saying, God, I have, you know, you have anxieties, you're snippy with people, you get in arguments on Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve can be a trigger. Right. Argument can be a trigger. Right. Um, and so people with PTSD, these triggers can go off. Well, it's, it's, it's also the same with intergenerational patterns, intergenerational patterns of you know, my family, you know, the alcoholism's out of control around New around the holidays. You know, my parents drank from Christmas Eve through New Year's. Right. My grandparents drank from Christmas Eve through New Year's. These are intergenerational patterns of trauma with these triggers going off. Right. So it's really important to pay attention to those too. So I will also ask the question, when a person is describing like, oh, I hate this time of year, or oh, I hate, you know, I hate dealing with finances. I always get in a fight with my spouse. Uh, we can push and shove. Well, finances can be a trigger. Did your father used to beat your mom up because of money? And if that's the case, it's a trigger. Right. And to learn that term, when you can start learning the language of what's going on here, I think I'm triggered. It helps because that means that, like you said earlier, Barbara, there is so much packed into that interaction and that relationship that is not working and old right? that you have to get gain perspective on. Mm-hmm. You got to go digging. You got to go, wow, I am really, fu- I'm so pissed off at my husband, but it almost doesn't match. This is, this is over a dinner time. Why am I fighting with him? Because I, I, I want to control what time we're having dinner. So it's, it's tough. It's tough. And, and it's bigger than you. And it is something that if you can understand it and begin exploring it, you should feel a sense of relief because your innocence comes back. It isn't just you are this bad person who's a failure. It's, wow, you've been surrounded by a lot of trauma or pain or, or uh, I lost the word, but um, just dysfunction. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's tough. And, and hopefully in, in thinking about it that way, you won't be afraid to go after it. You need the awareness. You need it. It's essential. And I think that the awareness, you know, we know how we always talk about this, Mary Grace, that you can't change what you don't acknowledge. Right. And so, and so, and so in the awareness of certain things, I mean, your spirit knows, you know, when, when, when you've done something or are doing something and it, it, it doesn't sit right, you know it. Because those actions are usually followed up immediately by guilt. Yeah. So you know that, something went wrong somewhere the key is are you willing to look at it like you say are you willing to acknowledge that there's a problem you may not even know what it is at that time but you know that something happens here and I've done this before and I keep doing it why do I keep doing it it bothers you look deeper that's your first thing you acknowledging that there is a problem that you need to look at and sometimes it's hard to see it for yourself. It's hard to see the wood for the trees sometimes. Yes. It yes. takes an external person. It takes a therapist. It takes a mentor. It takes a friend 
Yes. Uh, it takes somebody who you trust with your heart because a lot of the times people get very defensive when they have to look at their crap. Yeah. And so <laughs> they they, you, you want it. Yes, girl. So you want to look at it in the context of a safe space where you feel either unconditionally loved or where you feel that somebody's profession will protect you from any kind of retaliation or judgment and so on and so forth. Yeah. So it's really important to seek the help because you're not going to break these on your own. I can tell you from years of trying to do this work with people, first and foremost, years of trying to do it by myself. Yeah. And knowing that ah, I'm not getting anywhere because Sometimes it takes that outside person to crack the shell because you're in that shell. You can't break your own shell. You really can't. You know something's not right. It's going to take someone from the outside to come and, you know, kind of yeah. activate the, 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 the unraveling and so on. You know, does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. That's it. And, you yeah. know, I will hear people say, okay, I'm going to work on awareness and when I get in the situation, once I have the awareness, I should be okay, right? And I'm like, no. No. Doesn't you're work not, like that. You're not going to be okay. It doesn't work like that. You're going to get in there and you're going to make a mistake because you got to fight the intensity that this stuff brings up for you. The intensity to shut down, the intensity to argue, the intensity that, that gets you to get passive aggressive. You know, I, I think I've shared the story before when my husband and I first got together um, and I, I come from abuse. I, I have, you know, PTSD and my, <laughs> my husband, I don't know, I can't remember what we were talking about, but he, we started to argue about something and I got so intense about it. And as I'm arguing with him, I'm very intense and I'm lecturing and I'm spewing psychological crap at him. And he's just sitting there. He's not even arguing with me. He's just really quiet sitting there. And I thought, oh my God, shut up, girl. Shut up. Like, who are you really arguing with? He's not even arguing with you. What is going on with you? So I said, don't think I can't hear myself right now. This is embarrassing. I just can't (laughs) shut up. I love that. That's so typical you. And he started to laugh. He goes, honey, you are so cute right now. And I said, and then I finally, I sat down. I dropped the, the trauma body, which is in fighter mode, you know, standing up. And I sat down and I go, God, the adrenaline that just rushes through my veins. It's so hard to control. And it turns out acknowledging what I was doing, acknowledging the mistake, acknowledging the adrenaline and saying, I don't know what to do right now. Right. Was the answer. Yeah. And I, I think I've shared one time we were going to Target again. We didn't have kids yet. And we were forming our relationship and we had an argument and I was in the car. And I said, I don't know how to fix this. I don't know how to make this better. And he leaned over and he grabbed my hand and he goes, but is that okay? I said, no, no, you don't leave arguments undone because they turn into violence. Mm. There was, there it is. And right. he, in my head, that's my old script. Right. He said, well, maybe we're both just tired. Yeah. And I remember thinking, wait, what? What? Tired? People argue when they're just tired? It doesn't turn into violence. And I walked through turn like in on another planet, just like, right. wow, wow, we're holding hands. He's fine. Wow. And I remember looking at something, I don't, and I'm like, wow, this is really weird for me. And he, and he would he go, are you all right? And I'd be like, yeah, but are you? Yeah, I'm fine. I go, you're really not mad anymore. Nope. No, you reminded me of a story that's quite sad, actually, along those same lines. And for anyone who gets triggered with uh, issues, you know, this is this is a show where we talk about everything. And so trigger warning, you know, domestic violence is a situation. I witnessed this. I witnessed this where a young woman who had grown up in a home where she had watched her mother being beaten, you know, the old pattern. 
you get beaten, the flowers come, everybody's lovey-dovey, you're forgiven until the next round. Right. Well, she happened to be with somebody who she got into an argument and went into his face. And the guy kept moving away. He didn't, he didn't want to lift his hands, nothing. And she started screaming, hit me. Hit me. Yes. Yeah. I, and, I, and I knew where it was coming from because I knew her family. And I knew what she had grown up in. In her own mind, in this own, the, the, the fact that he would not do that was for her, like, what is wrong with you? This is how we do relationships, right? You hit me, so that, and then you say sorry, and then you bring me the flowers. She got, she literally was provoking him to put his hands on her. Yeah. Because that's all she'd seen from being a little girl growing up. Yeah. That yeah. They, they will argue. The follow-up to the argument is the pummeling. Then he will drive off and then bring flowers. It's almost like there was a script that she was... It's like, you're not following the script, dude. Come on now. Yeah. And yeah. it's so sad, but these, this is how powerful these narratives and these intergenerational patterns are. Ah, they're so... It's the record player that gets stuck. Yeah. And if you don't put pressure on that record player arm, it won't go to the next song. Right. It just repeats and repeats and repeats. And that poor woman was in that moment stuck. Did, did she want to get hit? No. It, it is, you know, Mary Grace, when you are somebody who does not come from that kind of uh, background, uh, and and like I said, this was these were our neighbors growing up, uh, and and I I couldn't I couldn't even abide going to their home after the first couple. I didn't witness the parents do it, but she would describe it. And so when I saw her as an adult now enact this in her own relationships, it sent chills down my spine. Yeah, yeah. because my thing was now imagine if this if she was with somebody also prone to violence. This is the stuff femicide is made from. This is the stuff, because the way she was shoving at him. Yes. I'm looking at the guy and I'm praying. She was huge. She was tiny. And I'm praying that he doesn't snap because he could literally have just broken her in two. Yeah. And she's in his face. Like, it's getting crazier and crazier because he won't hit her. He would turn to walk away. She would jump on his back to drag him back to say, which which is abuse. She only knows the script of somebody has to be abused. Right. Right. Somebody has to be abused. Right. And I, and and her, her, her innocence in this is I've got to hurry up. I have to get the script to stop because the piece doesn't come until the end and the flowers come. That's it. The flowers. This is it. The people don't understand that. That's really what the driver was. Yeah. We're arguing. Already for her, the argument meant it had to go down one way and complete yes. the, the way she knew how it completes. Trying to speed so I was like, can we speed up. this up already? This torture, can we just get it over with? Hit me already. Yes. So that you can get out and go give me flowers and we're done with that. And then, then we come to the nice part. Yeah. The, the, the making up part. It's so sad. The generational but. patterns of this. And again, it becomes so subconscious and such a habit. And you're so used to it that you don't even hear it anymore. It just goes off and you just act it out and you act it out. No, but when I confronted her, she thought I was the one who was crazy. Yeah. Like what? He loves me. Yeah. What's your problem? Like, why are you coming between us? That's how, that's how we do. Now that part, that gets into the level of disconnect from your body. She can't feel anything. She can't. Probably dissociated in childhood, sweetheart. Probably dissociated in childhood. Because think about being a child in a home like that and witnessing stuff like that over and over and over again, you flee your body. You yeah. totally dissociate. And so now you're in a relationship. They eventually broke up because he couldn't take it. Yeah, yeah. He, he said, I was sick. I, I couldn't take it. And she would start arguments with him. That's the thing. She would She was abusive. Arguments. She yeah. was abusive. And I know 
in situations like this, we hesitate with women who get. Oh no, we have to call it what it is. Yes, we have to call it. But the thing is, he had the sense to know. That's right. That given his size, and given her size, if he'd done anything to her, nobody was ever going to believe. No. No. That she's the one who 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 was starting, and, and you know we don't use that languaging even in, in in activism circles, like this idea that somebody hit someone and then people say like what did you do? We're not allowed to use language like that because that's victim blaming. But the truth of the matter is, if 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 if, if somebody had witnessed what I had seen, and then been, and then somebody had asked me like how did this start? The the truth is. She pushed and pushed and pushed. That's why the guy, in the end, he exited because he knew that it was only going to lead one way. One day he would snap. Yeah. And then it'd be over. And he would never have a leg to stand on in any court of law or even in the court of public opinion. I know. I know. He had hit a woman. But all this to say, these patterns are dangerous. They are toxic. That's it. And my friend never got help. Because as far as there's nothing, there was something wrong with him. He wasn't man enough. Oh boy, that could, you know, that's a great yes. show. I mean, that that's a, you know, that's a show that we're going to do in the future um, to talk about that. You know, yeah. the whole he's not man enough, and yeah. and it, it's you know that that would be great. We have just no wait. Do we? What time is it? Seven twenty. Oh, we only have two minutes. Holy yeah. cow, this one went. Quick. Yeah, we got sucked in right there. <laughs> right there. Um, but yeah, the point, and, and, and I hope everyone is hearing it, that when you look at your issues that have you stuck, the, these changes that don't give, um, they can be bigger than you. They can be so old, they go back generations. Um, they can move, um, but the key, you you have to look, awareness, and you will see your innocence in the situation, um, and then know that when you go to change it, you have to talk about it out loud. you got to take ownership of the pattern. You have to take ownership of the problem. you got to get help with this one, May, MJ. I would say once you... Have the awareness of it. Get help. Get help. Get because help. awareness in and of itself won't change the pattern. No. We don't have that kind of power over that. That stuff is so powerful. You're going to need somebody who can disengage you from it, who can show you, and who can and, help you rewrite a new script. Because Yes. yes. And, and walk you through the grief. Yeah. Because you're going to yeah. look back and you're going to see the wounded. Yes. You love those wounded and you, you, you had a relationship with those generations. And so the awareness, get help. Um, you're going to grieve. Uh, it's not going to take you under, you know, like we've said a hundred times, you know, you're, you'll cry and go to sleep. I mean, it, it's not, it's not anything serious. Um, and then the third thing is just take ownership when you don't know what you're doing. That's I'm sorry, I see it right now. I can't really control it very well. Don't take it personally. Tell your people to not take it personally, that you are in a struggle of learning and growth. Uh, because then that takes pressure off of the person who might be getting yelled at. Yeah. But you then know, you but- also have to show and be proactive and show that you are getting the help. That's why I said awareness yeah. is not enough. I've seen a lot of people who stay stuck in awareness and that becomes their crutch. And the apology that I'm sorry comes all too easy. Yes. With no, with no, what I would call with no amends. Yes, that's right. So yes. if you're not, if you're going to say sorry a billion times, but you're not doing anything to fix the problem, it ceases to make sense. That's right. That's right. You know? Yeah. This is some heavy lifting, guys. I hope, I hope, uh, yeah. you know, sometimes yeah. you got to go there with this stuff, right? Yeah. We're all trying yeah. to get better. We're all trying to be better humans. Yep. Yeah, it's it, and we all well, have stuff yeah. we need to work with. Yeah, yeah, yep. you got it. Well put, Barbara. And on that note, you know, we of course wish everyone well, and and, and to know that they're connected with us, um, that we care about you, 
uh, and, uh, you know, give us your thoughts on the show. Um, you know, things get created, you know, from your thoughts, uh, and we will definitely appreciate it. Please hit like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podcast Detroit, Google Podcasts, uh, Facebook here. Uh, we would greatly appreciate it. Uh, and uh, we hope you have a great, great evening uh, and take good care of yourselves. Wonderful. Have a great weekend, guys. Take good care. Bye. Bye. Bye.